Yes, sir. How you expect to be great, but your hustle don't match. Listen. I hustle over time, attempt to push the culture forward. This that real bitch, make a meal with that little gift. Everybody on the hustle, we can make a real shift. So keep your head up, youngin', and just keep on moving. And if you ain't hustling, then I don't know what you're doing. The time is now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Man, if you know today is Saturday, you know what time it is, man. It's your boy, Marcus Stone, a.k.a. Hustle, coming to you live from Globe Life Park, powered by Fishbowl Radio Network and Bashani Ready App, and you know what this is. This is the Unapologetic Hustle, man, where we... Uh, we dive deep into a lot of topics. We talk about community. We talk about entrepreneurship. Uh, we talk about the hustle. And uh, today's show is is a panelist show, and it's a banger. I got I, I'm excited about it. Um, these esteemed guests have all played critical roles in in some portion of my life, and uh, we're gonna have a community discussion uh, today. So it is not the typical show. This is the show for the thinkers. This is the show for those individuals that want to do better. This is the show for those individuals that want to make a positive change. Um, and that's what we're here to talk about. So, uh, without further ado, we're, we'll get into, you know, some quick intros and, and, uh, we'll get to the meat of the matter and, uh, we'll have fun with this thing. So, uh, on, on, on my panel, I have, uh, the wonderful, Dr. Gina Page of uh, African Ancestry, and I'll go ahead, and, Dr. Page, go ahead and introduce yourself to uh, let give them your background real quick, and uh, and we'll move around to the rest of the panel guests. Thank you, Marcus. It's, it's an honor to be here with you. I, I'm Dr. Gina Page, president and co-founder of AfricanAncestry.com. Uh, we are the pioneers of genetic ancestry tracing for Black people around the world. And I've been doing this work since 2003. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Miss Mary Tobin. Hello, 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 everybody. Thank you so much, Marcus, for having me on this panel with these heavy hitters. <laughs> if I can measure up, I'm Mary Tobin from Atlanta, Georgia, a West Point graduate combat veteran and uh, a diehard lover of the black community. I'm the co-founder of the Black Alumni Association for West Point, uh, titled Do More Together. So I'm proud to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Dr. Weaver. Hey, how's it going, man? Thank you for having me on. Um, as I told you yesterday, you have some heavy hitters. I feel on honored to be uh, on this show today. Uh, I'm a financial advisor, formerly worked at Merrill Lynch, uh, I'm now working at Northwestern Mutual, so I guess I'll be giving uh, kind of my side from the uh, financial side. I, although I do have a Gator hoodie on, I am a two-time FAMU alum, so I definitely got to put put a plug in for the HBCUs. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, my good brother, LaShan. Good brother. Always a pleasure to be with you. And your esteemed guest, um, I, I, I wasn't surprised when I got the call that I was going to be on a, on a panel with some other heavy hitters. So it's truly a pleasure to be with everyone. Um, I currently have the pleasure of serving as the director of the Institutional Diversity and Inclusion for um, Syracuse University. Uh, so been here in that capacity. I've been in various capacities within higher education, 
Um, but this is the current role and definitely excited to be here and offer perspective today. Thank you all. Indeed, indeed. And, and last but not least, uh, my in-studio guest, <laughs> Mr. Raheem, how's it going, sir? It's going fantastic, Marcus. I appreciate being here with all of these guests. And so uh, I'm in the capacity of a school principal. I worked in education for over 16 years. I'm also a public speaker and coach, self-mastery coach. So I help people develop their lives, and I'm all about community. I believe it takes a village to raise uh, one, and I'm interested and excited to hear what everybody has to offer. Indeed, indeed. So there you have it. Uh, I, I guess my new term is hustle lights. How you, how you like that one, P.L.? Hustle lights? <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> and, you know, the show wouldn't be what it is without my, my illustrious co-host, Mr. P.L. Colder, in, in the building. Hey, notebook, notepad in hand. I am looking forward to this esteemed panel. It's a pleasure to be here, Marcus. Yeah, indeed. So uh, without further ado, let's let's get down to business. Um, so to, today's show is I've entitled it It Takes a Village. Um, and that is a mantra that I've always heard growing up, that it, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, but in a sense of what does it take to raise a community? Right. Is the perspective that I want to come from uh, and how we can put some things into play, uh, discuss the different, the varying perspectives, uh, but ultimately have the discussion that some deem as difficult. But it's not difficult when you have the open mind. Right. To actually want to make the change. So, um, as I said, stated before, each of you serve a, a, a pivotal role in, in that discussion. Uh, but I want to open. I want to open with this first question, and I'll open. Uh, the first question goes to you, Mary. Um, how can we advance the community? Wow, you didn't you didn't come out with an easy one, did you? Um, I, no, this I, is a no hit. This is this is straight grand slams right here. We in the ballpark. Let's go. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to my panelists, uh, the fellow panelists here, uh, jumping in on this. It depends on what type of community you want to build. Um, me and me and my mother who marched with Dr. King and John Lewis have this conversation all the time. Um, she believes that the downfall of the community, the black community to be exact, lies in the lack of uh, black family structure. Mm. And we get into an argument all the time because I say, mother, for much of my life, you were you were a single mother. And I think I turned out OK. So what is it and who is it that raised me? Well, I had a solid religious foundation. There was a church that um, not only was present and a pastor not, was on, not only was present, but he invested back into the children. So there were scholarships, there were free after-school programs, there were mm. summer programs and internships where I was paid. So like there were safe places and enriching places that existed outside of the home. Um, my mother also um, got us library cards right, and took us to the library almost every Saturday. So there was a library in the community with current books. And because we grew up in a low socioeconomic community, my mother did not have an access barrier, barrier to access for us to get those books and to learn on a level or at a pace, maybe other, other white kids in a neighboring community. Um, while there were issues with police in, interaction and engagement, there was a local boys and girls club there. Okay. Right. So I could tap into these mentors, a lot of whom didn't look like me. So then when I went to a predominantly white institution, it wasn't a shocker for me. Right. I knew how to engage with Brad, Chad, 
gate. And, and, and so I, I'm saying all that to say is that I know, and I know I'm not asking, I'm not answering very specifically. I'm saying that what defines a community looks different now. Right. And if we don't redefine that and get back to the, the elements of what does every child, man, woman, family, mother, son, daughter need access to, to become an enriching, healthy, contributing adult, right? And that's access to food, education, being in a safe environment. Um, those, those common things, I think, um, is what it takes to make sure that we advance the community and removing those barriers from the black community is what would drive pro uh, at least positive progress forward. So I'm going to pause here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can I piggyback? Yeah, yes, Dr. Payne, I would love to see your perspective on, on that. Because I agree with you, Mary, 100%. And I think that if we even take it back one step before having those things, we have to understand what it means to be a community. We have to understand who we are. And that's really where my focus has been uh, for these past 18 years now is getting people to understand as individuals that we're important, mm. that we aren't what society wants us to believe that we are, um, that we come from the creators of everything society has to offer. If we start within and you get those things, to your point, when you have uh, a place to go and be, be in community with others. You get those things when you have access to books and other kinds of educational materials. So within what she just described, I think there has to be a focus on the individual right. and then who you are as a family and then who your family is within this larger sense of community. All oh, great points, great points indeed. Um, Dr. Weaver. Same question? Yes, sir. Oh, man. So, again, I, I agree with, uh, and I'm, I'm just getting names, uh, Tobin, should, should I call, what was your rank in the military, if you don't mind me asking? I was a captain. Oh, can I call you <laughs> Captain Tobin? You call me whatever you want. Just, just don't call me broke, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, you you have to ask the question: Well, what type of community are you talking about? Now, from my standpoint, on a financial economic side, I believe it's the same kind of debate that we've been having uh, since Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, right? Where on the one side, it's about, hey, having um, some technical skills and trade and through economics will progress. And the other side, it's, hey, you know, let's get some education. Let's get some knowledge and we'll progress there. And I think it's somewhere in between the middle, right? You need educated folks, specifically in my industry, um, you, you got to know what you're talking about. And it requires, uh, you know, a level of education. But on the other hand, I notice that there is this um, this this instance of acquiring education has actually caused a lot of black and brown people to go into debt. Right. And to get into jobs in which there is like no recourse of paying that debt. Um, so the first thing that I would say is uh, harping back is I would go with the, the kind of Booker T. Washington side 
And uh, even more recently, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson writes about it in his books as well, is that we need to focus on the resources and the economics first, in my opinion, and then the rest of that stuff will come into play. He, he often brought up instances of, of, um, of other ethnic groups. Now, we know we can't compare them to us because there's a history of, of, of slavery and oppression for hundreds of years that they didn't have to go through. But I always say that sometimes you have to look at the successful folks to see what you're doing yourself, right? To take bits and pieces of that. And one thing he noticed is that if you look at, uh, for instance, the Asian community, right? Um, if you look at um, wealth within their communities, as far as income, they're the highest paid group in the United States. And he says you rarely see them uh, focusing on things of politics, right? They more so looked at it as, hey, if we get our money together first, they have no choice but to respect us and listen to us. Um, we're in a different situation, again, because of the history. But I also think that the, the bedrock is your resources right. and that allows your community to do the things that it needs to do to service the people within the community. Mr. Mr. Raheen, I would I would same question to you, because I'm, I'm very interested in, in hearing your perspective from your background um, with as it relates to, to that question. How can we advance the community? So thank you for asking. Uh, I've always been of the mind that in order to improve a community, you have to improve yourself. Mm. And the key to improving yourself is to first understand, do you know who you are? Knowledge of self. From my perspective, when I think about all of the research that I've done throughout the years, and then the personal experiences that I've had as a black man in the community, I don't necessarily see us as lacking resources. I see us as lacking the knowledge to know what to do with the resources that we have. Mm. We don't exercise leadership. We don't exercise mastery. We exercise leadership in a passive kind of way where we're always looking for someone to lead us. And we never stop, in my view, not holistically, but just in specific pockets, we never stop to think, well, what can I do? For example, when we look at athletes or we look at entertainers, we often get into this point where people are trying to tell these people how to spend their money and what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. But we never stop reflectively to think about what are we doing? That was that person's point. As you go through life, you'll see a lot of the disadvantages that have occurred as a result of uh, oppression, slavery, Jim Crow, anything that you want to put in there. But it, the person who sees it is the one who has the responsibility to address it. Mm -hmm. If you're expecting someone else to do that which you see, you're going to be disappointed because they can't see what you see. Right. It's your responsibility. That calls in my case in point of leadership and mastery. Leadership, if you break down the word, means going first. Being the one who has the courage to step up and address an issue that you see and then addressing it at a high level, meaning you're not just doing 
the first thing that comes to mind, maybe that's a starting point, but you're aiming at mastery. So you do research. You try to understand the problem. You try to understand the ramifications of your actions so you can have the greatest impact. Mm. So in my Great own point. personal life, that's what has led me to this point. And I'm sure, just like all of the other esteemed guests, we've all come from humble beginnings, probably. I can tell you stories that would, you know, make people go, wow, you've been through all of those things, but I know we all have those stories. But the only thing, the one thing, if someone were to ask me, how was I able to get to this point, it's because of leadership, being willing to go first, mm -hmm. knowing who I am, and then focusing on it at a mastery level, meaning I'm not just getting in it and doing the first thing that comes to mind. I might start there, but I'm always looking at continuous improvement. Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> Same question to you, uh, Brother Lashane. Yeah, and again, I, I concur with everything everyone um, has stated. Um, I, I will add um, that it's also about building an affinity for, for whatever community that you reside in. If you, if you really think about from the uh, higher education experience as well as other educational experiences, it's about building an affinity for that particular community, whether that is um, you know, your institution, whether that is your, you know, who you're employed with, whether that is also um, at the, the previous panels mentioned athletes and those types of things. So leadership and mastering, but also understanding that um, your options are only as good as your choices. So if there is nothing there, you know, how do you establish that from an actionable lens um, to focus on the individual, to move into the other aspects of community, what community uh, looks like when I deal with um, students of color, when they transition to the higher education system, the first thing that they want to know is not what, it, what are the logistics within the classroom, who can I connect with? How, how am I going to build this community within this system to have support, et cetera? So for one, it is having a sound infrastructure, understanding who you are uh, holistically as an individual and how you connect and how, how we move forward in building that affinity from there. Man, all, all great points. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a great start uh, to you know hard hitting questions, but I, I love the answers um, and the the actual input, um, the thoughtful input into what that looks like, right? Uh, from those varying vantage points, um, but we'll 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 continue to press on uh, with the next question going to Dr. Page, uh, my esteemed Dr. Page. So. What is the biggest challenge in the community or nation at the moment from your vantage point? <laughs> Mary, you thought you got a hard one. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. <laughs> Ask me that again, please. What is the what biggest is challenge in the community or nation at the moment? Marcus, you are not about to get me on here <laughs> saying that I know what the biggest challenge facing us is. From, I will from say your vantage point, Doctor Page. I, you okay, from your vantage sitting point. Sitting in my seat. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sitting in my seat. Um, I think we have an identity problem. As as your in house in studio guest said, we don't know who we are. Right. And if you don't know who who you are, mm -hmm. then Everything that we've talked about is going to define you. And it's just going to, you know, you'll be like a tree in the wind, whichever way the wind blows. All of us that, that are talking here to, right now, we have a good sense of who we are. Mm. 
And and I can tell by the the, the few accomplishments that have been mentioned, because you just let us talk, you know, you said be brief, uh, <laughs> that <laughs> we have to, we all have, each have to have been grounded and have to have had a foundation to get to where we are right now. Right. But right. even in that, there's still so much about ourselves that we don't, don't know. know. So imagine the people that don't have the resources that we've had to get to where we are. And mm. then you layer the fact that we're treated in this society, we're treated differently because of the color of our skin. Well, the color of our skin is what gives us the strength to do what we do. Right. The color of our skin is that color because we are African. And Africa is the mother of civilization. Mm. So when you remember who you are, or when you, instead of, um, you know, spending as much time as you do on social media and maybe take some portion of that time to understand your history, to explore even just your own family's history, then we are much better prepared to either create the resources, take advantage of the resources, um, or share the resources collectively so that we can accomplish uh, what we need to accomplish to uh, walk in our power as Black people. Uh, I'm in the business of being Black. And so for yeah. me, it's from this lens, it's very important that Black people understand who we are and be proud of who we are. And if you look at everything that we've accomplished, then it ain't going to be a problem when you come into, into Syracuse and have to negotiate that system. It's not going to be, it's going, you're going to have a different set of challenges when you enter into the military and you have to negotiate those, those set of challenges because you know, you come from warriors. Right. You know you come from leaders. You know that there wouldn't be a military system if it wasn't for African civilizations. And you know the same with our finances. And so uh, that's my vantage point. LaShane, I'll, I'll, <laughs> same question to you, LaShane. Good luck, LaShane. Right, right. <laughs> well... Well, 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 it's definitely, definitely a a, a loaded question. Um, yeah. I uh, would concur that there is a there is definitely an identity crisis um, that is going on around us, um, and how how we navigate the resources, tools, uh, even the education um, available to to kind of understand that terrain and how to move and have sound tactics to address um, those things. So, in short, everything that uh, Doctor. Uh, Paige has mentioned it, it, it's, it's definitely spot on, but I do concur that there is an identity crisis um, and it goes back to uh, sound foundation, understanding where we're grounded for one um, and, and how we navigate this landscape that was not set out for us to be successful within. So um, I think that is also the, the other point that I would add. Um, how do you navigate systems that aren't weren't set up for you to be present within them? Um, mm. So once you infiltrate those systems, how do you pay it forward for, for others, et cetera, um, so they can understand their identity through uh, other vantage points. So um, that's that's what, what I would add, although that is a very loaded question and, and hard to answer, my good brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult conversations, but it's the perspectives in which I want people to actually see it from, 
right? Because Dr. Page, her her she thrives on the identity aspect. Um, Shane, you you come from the diversity lens. Uh, Brother Weaver comes from the financial lens, and and for individuals to actually understand that perspective from where you where you sit and and the way you've been able to navigate. I think that's yeah. the the way that we can pull everything together, right? Because there's right. so many so many times that we start off on a path, but there's really no no collaboration in its entirety with the upbringing of the community. It's all from one perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and when things are siloed to that degree, I think that hinders us more than it actually helps us because you stand on those specific things without the actual collaboration wholeheartedly of others. Like we, we talk about supporting black businesses mm-hmm. to what degree do we support? Right. right? We talk but Marcus, about, can I interject here? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think from a historical standpoint and um, uh, my fam, you brother, what's your name again? Uh, Chris, Chris, for, and from, I, I would be interested to know what Chris thinks about this. If we understood that at one point, when we when we had segregation, our communities did thrive and we did have our own financial systems. We had our own banks. We had our own insurance companies. We had our own professional classes. We if you don't know that that existed, then you are going to ask, well, why should I support black business? You are going to think that the white man's ice is colder. But if you know the past, then that also gives you even a sense in, in terms of fi- financial literacy right Chris no I I definitely agree with that Uh, some of you know my awakening as far as uh, finances and and economics and how you structure a community economic system for a group of people that have been disenfranchised came from me learning about Tulsa Oklahoma and actually visiting there and reading a lot about that And even closer to me, Rosewood was a self-sufficient community. And I always tell people that um, when we were integrated, you know, yeah, we got to go to schools with white people, um, but uh, us and and different things like that. But ultimately what it caused us to do was since we were able to shop with white people now. Right. Like we're able to spend more money at, at their restaurants, at their places of businesses. And uh, somewhere down the line, we stopped going to our own. Right. So we definitely have to let people know that at one point in time and we still do have pockets of communities. I know back home in Pompano Beach, there are a lot of black business owners. Right. But Mm -hmm. they're hard to find in comparison to, you know, hey, if I want to get something fixed on my house, you know, should I spend all week looking for the black contractor or should I just go with the first cheapest guy that I see? So that's kind of what we're running into um, as a community, um, and, you know, definitely supporting black businesses is one of the things to, to answer the question as far as what's a, a danger to at least our community. It would be our dollars leaving and going to other communities at the clip that is gone. Like you do have seepage in other ethnicities, but the, the, the amount of time from when we get paid to when it goes to somebody else with outside our community is like a day or two. And that that's not sustainable. So um, but the government has to come in. There has been, you know, hundreds of years of keeping us from these places. Right. 
And we also if you had a system to prevent us from owning businesses and to prevent us from supporting ourselves economically and you had this system for hundreds of years, then you have to do hundreds of years on the back end to make that whole. So it's a piece where mindset wise, as you said, we got to realize that the white man's water isn't colder. Uh, but then on the uh, other piece, as far as political, we got to pay more attention to what's going on local, state and federal, not just focusing on federal. The president can't do everything. He's not a king. We need to focus on all these other subnational governments that have a hand in our community. So, again, we can get the resources that we need to flourish. And when I mean resources, I mean IE capital. And um, I, I don't want to be long winded here, but one of the brothers uh, mentioned before uh, the first question, and he said that we, we don't have an issue of resources. And I would beg to differ. Like, you know, I, I know a lot of folks don't want to admit it, but we're we're no better economically as a whole than we were in the 1930s, 1940s, as far as black business ownership. And we're talking about we're in 2020 with all the tools that we have to make money. We're, we're in the same position as we were back then. I think that that's definitely pointing to a lack of resources. So we first have to admit that. Right. Mm. And, it, you know, I can go in and on, but it, it's almost it's 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 also what's in social media in the fact that we see people, you know, uh, with the Gucci bags and Louis Vuitton bags and all that. Right, and we right, think right. that, hey, that's how everybody's living. So that when somebody comes to us and say, hey, we need to do this that, and the third because resource wise, we're lacking. People come and say, oh, no, we don't lack resources. Look at this, look at that. And it's like well, there's a such thing called debt and, and leveraging credit. But when we look at assets, I see this time in and time again. When I worked at Merrill Lynch, one of the reasons I switched over is because I worked there for a year, an entire year. And I didn't see one black client come to our office. Everybody that I saw was people from 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 different from different races. And we have to talk about that there is a, a lack of resources and lack of knowledge and planning for the resources that we do get to save it and put it in places that it can grow and help our families generational. So um, I, I know I'm ranting, but as far as the community, I won't answer the question about what's the biggest threat to America, but it is a lack of knowledge and resource planning. Great points. Um, go ahead. I, I see you yeah. want you want to get in there. Oh yeah. So uh, <laughs> you know I got to come for you. No, just, hey, hey, uh, that's what we're here just, for. Uh, just for clarity, my comment about not so much the resources as it is knowledge of self is not to negate that we don't have enough resources or that we don't have any resources. It's that when we do get resources, we plunder it. We don't do what we need to do in order to be successful with those resources. That's yes. my point. So I don't want anybody to get the impression that I'm saying that we could not use more. <laughs> there is a, a very big difference between that. Uh, to speak to the question about what's our biggest, uh, can you read the question one more time, please? What is, what is the biggest challenge in the community 
the, uh, or nation at the moment? The biggest challenge I, from my standpoint that I see is us. We think, when I look at us as a community, we think of us as needing someone to do or needing support from somebody, even though we know throughout history that we have never been helped. And when people have stepped up to provide help, those people have been eliminated. And it's too easy to do. So from my standpoint, I always say the biggest challenge that we have is to put ourselves in a position of leadership, meaning if we're not given the resources that we know we deserve, we're talking about reparations and those things, and I'm not against that, we still can't stop. We can't wait for someone else to provide us what we know we deserve with, to treat us the way we know we need to be treated. We can't wait for anybody to do those things for us. When we, even when I say knowledge of self, just for total clarity, I do include our history as in our lineage from Africa, but I'm talking about the knowledge of you, the person who is saying, I need knowledge. I need to know. Yes, we come from the greatest lineage on earth, but even in that, sometimes we skip over our own personal responsibility to do something about our situation. So let me make a quick point. When I work with students, or when I'm working with a client, or when I'm talking to someone who asks me a question such as that, or when they're going through something in their life, I am always trying my very best to empower them to act on their own behalf. Because life is funny, life is tough. When you think someone has your back, they turn around and say something crazy, and you're like, why would you say that? It's because we're, we're putting ourselves in a position where we don't realize that the greatest resource that we have is our own mind. Mm. It's us. But as long as we think that someone is supposed to do something, the government, local government, federal, whatever the case may be, they are always going to let us down. And they know that they have us exactly where they want us because we keep asking for them to do something that we have to do for ourselves, meaning individually and collectively. So to put things into complete perspective, it's really about each and every one of us making a commitment to do for ourselves and to unite with others to do. Not necessarily someone giving to us, because once again, if I can just make a, a bold claim, I'm sure that every single one of us that is participating in this discussion can say, you know what, when you look at us historically, people have always let us down. Mm. And when it happens, we always respond the same way. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Instead of, you know what, let me step in the position and be the doer. And if they never give us resources, if we never receive a fair shake from anybody, we still have all that we need to get the job done. Valid points. Valid points indeed. Um, that that brings me to to my next question. And this this uh, Chris, I'll let you start this one off. Okay. Um, hey, Marcus, I'm not gonna talk about how you didn't let the veteran comment on what the biggest threat is to the nation. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, look, I I know where you gonna go, Mary. You know what? Let the people have it. Go on, give it to them. White nationalism. 
we are currently allowing white supremacy to declare another test, another layer of what it means to be acceptable in this country. So now I, it's not enough that I am a part of a marginalized group or community, mm. but now how American am I? And even for a black woman veteran, now my patriotism is now being measured despite the fact that I'm a combat veteran and a disabled vet, right? So yeah. what, we're, what we're seeing, I think on a global level is instead of this international cooperative where we're all working towards a common goal, i.e. a vaccine for a pandemic and a deadly virus, now we're determining as America, we're the only thing that matters. And within America, it is white Americans that determine what matters and what our priorities are. So now, are we American enough? Am I patriotic enough? Right. What type of black am I? Oh, yeah, I'm a woman. And then if I'm gay or disabled or Muslim or all the things, now I'm slowly decreasing over time. And so I know what we're talking about internally as, as a black community, but if we are not watching what's happening around our identity as a nation, we will miss the restructuring and the reformation of what it means to be an American and how that drastically impacts us on every institutional level. And I'll go back on mute. <laughs> <laughs> See, you always bring it, Mary. You always bring the heat. Look, I was trying to keep my, my veteran cloth out of this, but, you know, you know, I'll get on the soapbox real quick with that one. Um, but no, valid, valid points. Um, and, and I can see the, the vantage points and the perspectives. Um, and I can see the nuggets in each of those, those elements. Right. Um, so, and I, I said that because it, it, it really brings me into the next question. Um, and, and like I said, Chris, I'll, I'll let you lead this one off. Okay. What are the most critical changes that we must make to face the future effectively? Hmm. The critical changes. Uh, yeah, these are all loaded questions. Right? <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are all loaded questions. Uh, critical change, I would say it, it has to be it has to be education. Um, in what sense? You know, in, in the sense of I mean, the, the world speak is from, just moving from your, forward. from your vantage point. So, from my vantage point? Well, yep. I mean, it, it just runs the gamut. I mean, talking about from, you know, uh, what does the economy of this country, what is it going to look like in the next decade, two decades, right? It's going to be high tech. Um, so, uh, like coding, like kid, like when I was growing up and we went through middle school and high school, we had to take a certain amount of credit hours for Spanish or French or foreign language. And I think that's very important. But nowadays, I think it should be a certain amount of hours to learn coding. Like that is that is going to be the basic thing that's required for a lot of high paying jobs and even some mechanics like most cars are all electronics now. So definitely learning about computers, learning about coding, math, um, learning, uh, you know, learning finance at an early age, like the value of money. And, um, you know, the work that you have to put in to get it and making sound decisions so that when you turn 18, 19 years old and you're on your own and you go off to college that, you you know, you have a basic knowledge about your money and don't kill your credit the first two years you, you leave your parents house. So when I say education, it's it's it's, it's all encompassing when you're talking about the future. 
it's it's really about preparing them um, um, through knowledge and through that and, and them knowing what's expected of them in the future, what's coming ahead. They can have a plan, you know, whether it's financial, whether it's having networks of people in different industries. So when I go to college, I know I have a job or when I go to a trade school and I get I have a network that I can work on. Um, so it's it's all encompassing Just to a to a national security standpoint. I can't remember who the major was, but he had said that one of the, that he believed one of his greatest threats for us moving forward is in our readiness is our education. Um, even in the and even in the armed services, they recognize that, you know, to, to move forward in the future, we got to make sure that we stay on pace with other countries because that's who we're competing with as far as education. And for the black community, it's even at a higher level because we always been competing with the other races within our country. And this is a global society now. So now when you get out, you're not it's not just who's in America now. It's who's all over the world globally. Um, so moving forward, it's education, education, education. Um, and, and, and specifically, if we can, we have to focus on K through 12, but higher ed. Our HBCUs. A lot of times, um, our HBCUs, the incoming freshmen, are um, you know need some remedial classes for math, algebra, science, and whatnot. They're usually behind the eight ball of their counterparts that went to other um, schools. And these universities put a lot of resources in to get people up to speed and turn them into a person who a uh, guidance counselor at high school would say, "Hey." You're not college material. Tonight, that person's a pharmacist or an engineer. Right. I've seen it happen time and time again at Florida A&M, and it was because we had the resources at that school to 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 help people get from one place to another. I always say HBCUs are probably the greatest value as far as higher education because of where you look at where they take somebody, mm-hmm. the starting product to the finished product. They do the best. So not to go on a rant again, but definitely education moving forward, my man. Dr. Page. I agree. I think it's we have to focus on on the kids. I, I think it's it's that simple. But in focusing on the kids and, and having education be the lens, we also have to remember that you can't learn if you're hungry. You can't learn if you don't have a place, if you're homeless. I mean, well, I can't say you can't learn. It's it's exponentially more difficult to learn when you're hungry, to learn when you're homeless, um, to learn when it's it's, uh, distance learning and you've got to use your mother's cell phone for your class because you don't have a computer. And so, you know, it that question we have, if, if we just say, focus on the kids, then we've expanded it because Mm -hmm. education requires this, 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 and this that isn't necessarily related to education. Mm. But I I, I think it's the kids. We we almost can't even worry about the adults (laughs) on some level, you know? I mean, I'm I'm saying that half jokingly, but um, if, if we don't, if we don't prepare our kids, then we're done. Mary? Um, I, I definitely agree with the other two panelists who just commented. I'm gonna I'm gonna amplify what Brother Raheem said earlier. Leader development. Now, probably 
speaks to a little bit of my background. Um, but I'll tell, I'll tell a quick story. When I was a nonprofit executive director in Brooklyn, my job description was to solve poverty, literally said to solve poverty in, in this community in Brooklyn. And one of the ways in which others, so very well-meaning white nonprofit leaders thought that I should go about doing that is just financial literacy, financial literacy, financial literacy. Shout out to you, brother Chris. Um, <laughs> and, and they were frustrated because they poured all this money into the community around financial literacy and nobody was coming or wasn't sticking. Mm -hmm. Well, I started doing some, some research and some digging. I wound up talking to a gentleman from the Department of Labor, talking to an economist, some other people in the neighborhood, my own staff who lived and worked in that community. And it came, it, I found out that be, living in public housing, you could only have so much money in your bank account. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would make your rent significantly if you had more than $1,250 in your bank account. So I immediately started to reprogram how I thought about me. Yeah, I clown people about GoFundMe's. Why are those black folks always asking for fish fries and GoFundMe's to bury somebody? <laughs> well, if they have more than $1,250 in a bank account, now they're making a decision between food or transportation to work or childcare. Take it one step further. Now I'm looking at the banks in the community. Not one of the three banks that served 100,000 people in that community actually made adjustments for people to have um, lower levels of savings in checking uh, checking accounts, right? So now I'm so now I'm going back to these well-meaning nonprofits profits and saying, you're not don't don't be mad at the black folks in the community, be mad at the banks, be mad at the housing authority that established these regulations, be mad at the system of oppression that continues to keep people in this rat race in this cycle of poverty and oppression. I had the opportunity to say that on a very large stage and just a little bit, because I'm not going to take credit for all of this. Things begin to change regulations around how much people save in particular housing developments. Mm -hmm. All I got to say is if we develop the mind of leaders, leaders who are able to identify the accurate problem, the right problem to talk to the right people, to talk to the subject matter experts, the citizens in the community, and all come to the right table at the right time, you can begin to solve the problems. You don't have to be college educated to be a leader. You do not have to be an adult to be a leader. All you have to do, I think uh, Brother Lashan said it earlier, is have an affinity for the, love your people and the community there, get the right people together, put your heads together and start solving the problem. So I, I, I'm giving myself way more credit than I deserve. It was the leaders on the ground, the people on the ground who solved mm -hmm. Problem. So I, I come from a leadership vantage point um, in that question. Yeah, and if you wouldn't mind, um, Brother Marcus, if I could dive in yeah, on, on the tail end of that. Um, I think uh, piggybacking off of that is promoting awareness, advocacy, and accountability. Mm. Those are the those are the three tiers that um, I always bring to any meeting um, or even when I'm discussing this concept with uh, students or whomever it may be. How can we promote awareness? That is the educational piece. You know, are we educating those uh, entities and individuals around this lived experience and the resources needed to move the needle forward? Advocacy. How are we advocating for one another? Are we promoting, um, you know, small businesses, black businesses, those types of things through our actual actionable practice? Are we doing that? And accountability. How are we holding folks accountable? Are we holding feet to the fire when they don't meet the mark um, as our needs? So um, I always tell uh students and faculty, staff, et cetera, across the board. I'm not in the business of changing hearts and minds. I've, I've left that where it's at. 
I'm in the business of addressing policy, system, Mm -hmm. and practice. And when we start having those very candid conversations, we will start to elevate equity. Are we talking about equity in action? Um, Because we talk about equality all the time. No, I want equity. That is what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, And how can we put that in action and getting folks thinking from a, a, a critical lens and putting that into application? Wow. I'll let you round it out. All right. So, uh, you know, I think education is always going to be a key when it comes down to uh, facilitating any kind of change as far as future is concerned with regards to, uh, to, to black people and our, the challenges that we have. Uh, one thing that I want to address, though, when it comes down to education, at least from my standpoint, is that it's, it's the education, yes, but it is more so the approach to education. We spend a lot of time focusing on uh, what we need to bring to people as opposed to raising our kids in such a way where they have such a strong sense of self, their own self, Mm -hmm. that they know what they want to do with who they are, which is a completely different situation. When I work with teachers, teachers overwhelmingly always respond to students differently. When the teacher is teaching a pre-AP class or uh, an AP class, those, those, uh, those honors classes, those students that come to those classes, they're always ready set. They know what they want. The teachers don't have to do a whole lot of pulling when it comes down, comes down to those kids. But teachers who have to teach kids, uh, teach classes where the kids are not AP students, those teachers have to do a lot of work. The reason behind that, as I see it, is because the kids who come to those classes don't know what they want. Mm. You see? And because they don't know what they want is the same as getting in your car and not identifying a destination. If you don't know what you want, then chances are when you get in your car, you'll sit there for a long time until you realize, you know what, I want to go here. And then you turn the key and you put your foot on the gas and you move. It's the same thing when it comes down to our kids. We are in 2020, October 2020. Every single person on the face of this planet has a device in their hand where they can do all of the research they want. It's not about knowledge. The information is everywhere. It's where the knowledge is coming from. If you don't know who you are, you won't even begin to say, well, you know what? I want to learn how to be X, and you fill in the blank. How about starting my research on YouTube to see who else has already put some information out there about this thing? I'm not taking anything away from public school, K through 12, or higher education. I think those things are important too, but all through education, what every educator is beginning to realize is that there's an expiration date on being the holder of knowledge. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. have to take the opportunity to say to our kids, if you want something, Here's what you need to do. You need to identify your goal, and then you need to set out to go and get it. It does not have to necessarily come from a school. There are kids out there seven years old making 10K a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. see, when you understand that it's not resources so much as it is resourcefulness, your ability to turn inward and realize who you are and what you have the opportunity to do. That's not relinquishing the, uh, the, the blame that has been, uh, that is just due for what others have done to us. But if we're not careful and we don't balance that properly, we'll put ourselves and the people who listen to us in a position where they're waiting for something to happen that does not necessarily need to happen. I always say this in my content that I put out. You can 
give the blame to someone else, but the responsibility is always yours, always. When we rely on someone else too much, we put ourselves at a disadvantage and we make ourselves the, uh, the, the people who have to wait until someone else decides to do the right by us. Or we even amongst ourselves, because we all understand coloration, right? Mm. Even our own people will sometimes put us in a position where we're worse off by linking up with this person than we are <laughs> by being by ourselves and just focusing. Now, see, if all of us are of the mindset of, you know what? Sure, it will be great for someone to come in and do the right thing. But until that happens, I'm going to do all that I can. And when I raise my kids and when I talk to my students, I'm going to talk, talk to them from the standpoint of you have everything that you need. Turn inward. Your DNA gives you permission to be the person that you need. You were born complete. Right, indeed. So that 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 brings up a question that that I did not write, but just just from the the dialogue, right? I'm back to free flowing here. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so from those varying vantage points, right? We're in in each instance. We we talked about the inward progression. Even on my normal segment, I talk about the inward progression of what we need to do and how we need to identify what we need to improve within ourselves, right? But my question is, how how do we cultivate that into the kids, right? Because so much of what is preached when you look inward is always the negative aspect, right? There's only so much positivity that we can continue to pour in that doesn't become watered down like, hey, no, you can do it, but you know, everything outside of that that we see in the community is, oh, well, you're a bad kid or that person on the news is bad. So if I do something like that, I'm I'm bad because they said that they're bad. So how do we how do we build that foundation to hold on to the right way to look in so that they develop in the in the mature way to actually have that foundation to change the community? Absolutely. So that that's a great question. My response when I'm addressing that same thing is I've been having a, a whole lot of conversations in that same realm is cautious curiosity. Hmm. You see, when kids are born, we ignore the fact that every single person on this planet that has ever lived and who lives today is unique. None of us, even though we're all black and we all have things that we have in common, mm -hmm. but at our basic core, there are no two thumbprints that are the same. Right. So when we raise our kids or when we interact with the youth, we have to identify the fact that we don't know what they came to this plane to bring. Right. You see, when you make assumptions about the young, automatically thinking that you know what's best for them and what they should be doing, you're making an assumption that can be, that can be so far off it can, you can be 180 degrees in the wrong direction. Right. And if you're not careful, you will use their love for you against them because kids are very impressionable. They're going to want to do things to show you I love you back. And what yeah. you say, you want me to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a lawyer. You want me to be a doctor, I'll be a doctor. You want me to play in the NFL, I'll play in the NFL. But mm -hmm. does that really fulfill their purpose for being here? Right. That's a personal deal which should encourage us to go, you know what? Hey, young man, hey, young lady, 
who are you? And if yeah. you don't know who you are, which is a question that many people ask, well, uh, Coach Raheem, what do you do when, when a kid doesn't know? Well, you study babies. When you look at brand newborn babies, when you put something in the hand of a brand newborn baby, the first thing they do is they test it out. They put it in their mouth to try to understand it. We have to expose our kids to different opportunities and see what they naturally gravitate towards. Things that they have an affinity towards, what resonates with who they are personally. Right. That's knowledge of self. Once you know who you are, your likes and dislikes, your strengths and weaknesses, now you can build on that foundation, a foundation that is personal. Gotcha. Nobody knows the kids. The kid knows themselves, but it's not in a language kind of thing. It's a vibration. It's the same feeling that all of us can have. We're sitting in this room, and we can feel each other's conversation without even saying a word. We ignore mm -hmm. that conversation. Right. That's the way you raise kids, in my opinion. Mary, I like to hear you. I like to add, too. Go I don't ahead, have any kids, so it's not from a how you raise kids perspective, <laughs> but I have friends who have kids, and I have, I'm interacting constantly with parents. And the parents that I see um, are, they're providing the tools like, like the brother just talked about. So they're influencing what their kids consume. They're influencing what their kids hear, mm -hmm. listen to. Now, they can't completely control it these days, I don't think. But yeah. they're influencing what they listen to, what they watch. So they're helping to make sure that they get a diversity of messages. They get counter messaging to what society is telling them. And I think that that's an approach that helps with that personal development you, you're talking about when you give them, when you show them options. Yeah, great point. Because it's hard if they keep listening to, you know, the same kind of music that's telling, you know, telling a young girl that she's not worth anything or telling a, a young guy, a young boy, this is what you can be. If that's all you hear, I mean, I, you know, there, I'm sure there's some some research about that when you're constantly bombarded with the same negative perspective. Uh, um, uh, information, then that's what you're going to start to absorb. And so one thing parents can do is to help broaden the scope of that. No, that, all great points. Great points. Hey, uh, for those of you just tuning in, man, it's your boy, Marcus Stone, a.k.a. Hustle. Uh, we're coming to you live from Globe Life Park, man. This is the Unapologetic Hustle, man. And, and today's show uh, is the first iteration of It Takes a Village. Uh, we're, we're having a discussion with these esteemed panelists, man, that are, are bringing some nuggets to help us shape and mold what our future can be and what it should be uh, through uh, this this intellectual dialect. Um, but, you know, diving back in, um, I, I, I want to stay. Something is telling me to stay right there in, in, in that lane. But uh, I want to I want to press on. I want to press on because I think it's, it's going to. It's going. It's building that crescendo, you know, uh, for 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 the whole set. Um, so let's 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 go to brother uh, brother Lashan, and then uh, I, I want um, brother Chris to follow up on on this one. Okay. So the question is, um, what do you think the best outcome for our community would be? facing our current realities of systemic oppression? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, so the you mind repeating the question again, good brother, or the statement? What do you think the best outcome for our community would be facing our current realities of systemic oppression? Mm. Well, first and foremost, I think uh, it, one of the out, great outcomes would be a, a great awakening, if you will. Um, and when I say a great awakening, that is a complete understanding of, as the brother mentioned, you know, knowledge of, of self, having knowing what we bring to the table, how we bring it to the table and why it is needed to keep this thing moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at it, we literally built everything that is around us that is going on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So from, you know, building the infrastructure of the, the country, uh, a lot of the um, I always tell students, people love the culture until it's time to love the culture. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when you think about it from that particular True. lens, um, yeah. you know, they can love it from a distance. But when it's time to get skin in the game, crickets. So having a great awakening, knowing that, um, you know, they need us. So how can we take advantage of that particular opportunity that is uh, at the forefront? So in short, I would say part of that solution um, would be a great awakening and stop assimilating. Stop assimilating to what we think is this quote unquote American dream that we've been sold. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Good point. Yeah. I like Whew, well, man, so I hate to get real controversial here, but <laughs> I, have, no, I have always said that we got to leave, you know, on some Marcus Garvey. We have to get into. No, I'm so serious. We got to get in some boats and go. Think about this. Right. Let's say let's say tomorrow somebody kidnaps you and holds you in their house for 30 years and they just release you. Wouldn't you leave the house? Or would you stay in the room because you've been there for 30 years, you're comfortable. You would leave. Mm. I, I think we gave it a shot here at trying to see if America could right this ship. And, you know, hopefully we, we talked to some people and the whole thing about, you know, maybe the next generation will be less racist than the generation before. Well, I've been on UF's campus for six years before I graduated. And let me tell you, it, it, it's a new crop coming in. That, that whole idea of that, you know, we'll, we'll be diverse and then they'll meet some minorities and therefore that's not working. They, they're just as racist as their parents. This is going to persist and persist. And eventually it's going to come to a headway at some point in time. But as of right now, I, I just don't think that racism is something that will ever be erased from from not just white people, but I've I've had Asian people be racist to me, people from India be racist to me. I think it's a global thing of people that are uh, darker in tone. All right, that people have this idea that we treat them worse than everybody else, specifically here in America, and it's and it's not going to change. We're going to keep going through the same thing. So I think the best outcome is to. Have those leaders that we're talking about and have a movement that, hey, we're we're trying to sustain ourselves as of right now. But yeah. putting seeds in place to help folks. Uh, I mean, you don't have to go back to Africa, but there are a lot of countries. There's actually an article that they wrote um, during the covid pandemic and the whole, you know, social uprising of you know, young black professionals like picking up and leaving and just going to other countries because they don't see that any of this stuff is is, is going to change. And we'll just keep bit, getting disappointed for generations and generations. We always wow. like to say they 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 need us. Right. Which they do. But they don't know that. They don't know that until you up and leave. 
So I think at some point in time, it has to be shown that, look, you know, we're not. We're, I mean, we would love to stay here, but we're not tied to America. Like, you don't have to stay here and take that. You can take your talents, your knowledge and your hard work that we have shown over hundreds of years. And we would be, uh, you know, um, um, welcome with open arms from many countries around the world. And, and, and just like folks try to tell us, hey, you got to leave the Democrat Party and go to the Republicans and vice versa. You always got to leave somebody to show them how serious you are and how important that you are. And I think the same thing uh, is, is, is you can be said for America. Right. We, we can't put it all on Barack Obama shows, but we had a black president. Right. As, as much as a, has a lot changed. Since then, you know, I know I could be president now if I want to. My little nephew, right? He wants to be president. He's seen somebody do it. But like substantively, has a lot changed when we had him in, in eight years? It's the same cycle over and over again. So I just think this 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 country was not built for us. It's written in the laws that we participate in every single day. And at some point, we just have to realize that, you know, these people aren't going to let go. And so it's either you're going to sit here and you're going to eventually have to physically, violently have some type of fight for it. Or you just say, hey, man, you know what? <laughs> Y'all got that. Right. And we get up and go somewhere else and show what we can do in other spaces in the world. It's controversial, but I've always said this hands down. Racism isn't going to go away <laughs> here in America. So we must. Dr. Page, I, you, I, I know you have an interesting take. Um, because we we speak uh, a lot on the identity piece, and there's trips that that take place, and some individuals have actually done that um, after they have uh, found out their their true identity and, and moved to those those places. I mean, from your vantage point, what what would that look like <laughs> in your world? Well, I think you're right. I mean, people, and I'm hearing more and more people talk about how they want to leave and how they, you know, they're asking, they're asking us, how do we repatriate? Uh, where do you recommend that we go? And so you don't have to go to Africa. I actually think the whole world is looking at Africa. Everybody, every nation is in Africa because that's where the resources are. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where, you know, that's where, Wealth is being gained at exponential rates. Uh, so going to Africa is not a bad idea at all. Uh, however, anywhere we go in the West isn't going to look that different than the United States. I mean, the, the people that are oppressing us here are the descendants of people that live in, in the Western country. So I, I don't know where else you can go and have the a similar type of lifestyle, but avoid racism. Mm. Um, that means if you go to Africa, then you need to consider that that's a whole completely different way of life. And then where in Africa are you going to go? And so, mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of questions. I have friends who, what, what my approach to this has been just about this repatriation part <clears throat> is I, I actually don't have a strong desire to live in Africa full time. I mean, and it's not because I don't love African countries, but my family is here. My parents are older. I want to be be with my family. My family's not going. So, but I, what I do think a solution can be is 
you can have the ability so to live in Africa if you want. So maybe you have a home. Those of us who can afford uh, to, to buy property, we can have a place to go there or in other countries. So now we have options. Someone right. mentioned to me that immigrants are in a, immigrants to the United States are in a unique position. They don't have to stay here. They have another land that they can go to. Now, that may not be a land that's safe for them to live in, or you know, there are all those other considerations, but it exists. And so I think the, the idea of having an option, I, I support you, Brother Chris, let's go. I mean, I'm happy to go. I might, I might not stay all year. I might come back home to DC and visit my family. Um, but I, I do support you in that approach. I think, and and the brother, I, I cannot, is it Rashawn who's in, in studio? Raheem. 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 I should have written this down. Very early right. on in this conversation, you talked about self-determination. And Kuji Chakalia has always been my favorite day of Kwanzaa because it is self-determination. And that's what I hear you saying, Chris. You know, we've got to, we've got to do what is right for us. And we, we have to make things happen the way we need them to happen. I'm really interested, though, to hear what um, what I now know my soror Mary has to say <laughs> yeah, about yeah. this. Come on, Mary. <laughs> uh, thank you, soror. that you acknowledge that because Marcus was just trying to act like because it's his alphaversary. He's the only <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I agree a lot with what you just said, uh, Dr. Page. My family is so interracially mixed at this point. I don't know who I would be leaving and for what. Mm. Mm -hmm. I, and this is not, this is a lot of this is not a popular sentiment among black communities right now, but I love this country. I fought for this country. I was injured for this country. Indeed. Um, and I did so with the belief that this country can and should be better, period. Um, I, our ancestors fought very hard for a day in which I can be sitting up here with these amazing panelists, West Point graduate, and pontificating about the state of Black America in this country. Um, and for me, there's just a fight that lives with me, and I'm going to continue to fight for better because our kids, I think, deserve better, and the generations after them deserve better. And so I can't see a future in which I will willingly choose to leave uh, a land in which I think I've planted seeds for good fruit. I do, I do, however, understand the desire to um, get to a place where you can feel loved and you feel a sense of home. I, I had the honor of visiting South Africa a few years ago um, and Ghana and a couple of other places. And when my feet touched the ground, I cried mm. because it felt like home. I finally had a home. Um, but this is also my home. And, um, there is just something in, ingrained in me, um, that just believes and hopes for better in our country. And, and so I fight for better. Right. Do I think racism will ever end? Absolutely not. Um, I, I don't. Right. Um, I have a best friend who says uh, racism is as, as, as American as apple pie and baseball. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's embedded in our way of life. 
However, um, I do believe that we can be better. Um, and so, you know, I would ask that people like us on the law of multiplication in terms of what we invest in, what we build. Um, I think our biggest challenges is we get to a spot, we say, I got mine, you better get yours. And we never look back at how many other people are still in the communities just like us who have just as much potential to advance our communities and really advance progress, right? So, you know, I'm not going to call out any particular politicians um, who we declare icons, but ask yourself, what was their secession plan? Who's up next? Mm. Who have they been investing in for the last 20, 30, 40 years? And that's that's literally my clarion call. So as long as I have breath in my body, I, I'm, I'm going to believe that we can be better and do better. Thank you for calling me out, Sora. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go nowhere, Mary. Cause look, I, I, we're, I mean, the time is flying, but there's, there's two topics that I want to, I want to make sure that we address, uh, before, before our time expires. So, um, but Mary, I want you, I want you to stay up front and center on this one because I want you to set the, set the tone for this discussion. Um, so the question is this: What are common misconceptions you believe people have? How can we come? combat these misconceptions and communicate more effectively when you say misconceptions in, in what context brother misconceptions with culture misconceptions with uh gender misconceptions with uh location where we live where we, whether we stay or whether we go how do how do we fight all of these arrows that are being pointed or us being pushed and pulled in so many directions which doesn't bring the community aspect right so how do we combat those those things that deter us from uh, what we're looking to actually achieve here? Who wrote your question? Did you know? She <laughs> <laughs> wanted to know who to get. <laughs> Who's in trouble? I told y'all. I told y'all. I've been sitting on this for a while. <laughs> we needed the questions two weeks in advance so that we could prepare. I should have put something else in this Gatorade bottle. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, you know what I'll say. So, so for instance, almost the same types of, of oppressive and negative and dangerous stereotypes placed upon us by others, we in turn take those, internalize them, and place them on ourselves. For mm. instance, right? I'm, I'm, I'm about the heavy hit right now. Yeah, <laughs> we. we question a black man's masculinity or his manliness based off of his sexual orientation instantly if we find out that that black man is gay he is less of a man he's less of a provider he's not a protector all the things it is literally unfounded and not true but then we internalize that and we call our baby boy that may be a little bit more feminine or like to dance or draw or paint versus playing football, we'll call them sugar. They got they got sugar in their tank or they mm -hmm. sweet. And we'll start to put those those labels on them from an early age, right? So right. now all the creativity, um, the innovation, the potential bottled up in this young man who may change the game artistically. He is now growing up believing that he is less than or not good enough or that everyone in his community is judging him. That is just one just one example of how dangerous and toxic white supremacy is mm. that we would take the exact same stereotypes and myths placed on us 
reverse that thing and then put them on each other. So now we're, we're doing this infighting and trying to figure out where the heck do we get this from? It wasn't us. It literally came from outside of us. So we, we had a couple of people on this panel continue to talk about knowledge of self. That's literally it. Like understanding who you are like at your core, right? Like I never liked Barbies, never liked <laughs> any of the girly things. I got called a tomboy from the beginning. Um, never surprised anybody when I went to the army. Oh yeah, sure. Mary's more masculine. Yes, absolutely. That's why she went. As it turns out, I'm just a. I was about to curse. I can't do that. I'm just. A, <laughs> you can. I'm just a you can. I'm a leader. I'm a leader of people. I'm a leader of men and women. I'm a leader of humanity. What if? What if we, as a community, rejected all the negative labels of any kind, of any kind, and allow people to be free and discover who they are? Not just in our lineage and our backgrounds, but like, who am I right now out of the context of struggle? Like, I refuse to define myself in the context of struggle and racism anymore. I grew up in, in poverty, but that is not my story. What if we created that type of environment for our babies? And they grew up believing that they truly were great in whatever manner they are. Like, whoever they are, they're amazing and beautiful and not, not us trying to mold them into somebody or someone that they're not. So I, you know, I, I, I said a lot to say, um, Brother Marcus, you know, how do we get rid of that, those negative stereotypes? We let us be. Indeed. If I wear weave, I wear weave. You gonna see me tomorrow and I'm, I'm, my hair's gonna be looking like my Sora Gina. But <laughs> <laughs> like, don't dare question my blackness and my love for myself and my sisters just because I chose to get some Peruvian in my hair. Right. Mm-hmm. That is who I want to be. That's who I am, and I and I just wish we would allow, we would love on each other just for, for who we are. So I, I can tell I'm passionate about it. But Man, I, I know you I let, look. You know I I had to I had to let you talk first because I talk about it all the time. Like when you when you look at the title of the show, the unapologetic hustle, right? Unapologetic has always been synonymous for negativity. Or there's no way to get through because they're unapologetic in in that aspect. But why? Why does it have to remain that way? Why do we have to look at that word and look at what what it actually could be in in the negative context? Right. Hustle. Hustle in, in our community is synonymous for standing on a street corner. Right. Everything negative, the, the stereotypes, the, the labels, the this and that. Right. My whole intention behind the unapologetic hustle was to change that. My hair, me, that that was synonymous to break the stereotypes, to be the example that I'm trying to get other people to see to change the community. That that is the whole intent. It's not for me in its entirety. It's it's for everybody so that we can be our true selves and live our truths outright, whatever that may be. As long as we come together and communicate what your truth is and we a person understands what that is they should be able to respect that absolutely that's true can i add something here mary i think you dropped the mic and i'm scared Uh (laughs) but um i did hear this and i i I heard this from you and i think i heard it from raheem and i just want to i just want to kind of circle back understanding your lineage within your family and even going back to Africa or France or 
China or wherever it is, that's not separate from who we are. It informs who we are. Mm -hmm. And just you made a really Great good point. point that your identity is whoever you want to be. That's the definition of identity is who you want to be. And you get to be whoever the you want to be. But let's not separate the fact that who who we are genetically and who we understand we can be, the possibilities are deeply and firmly rooted in our lineage. So that's not a separate thing. It's a part of the whole. Now, whether you choose to do that research and incorporate the information, that's everyone's um, prerogative individually. But I, I want to make sure that, that I'm clear that from my perspective, our lineage is fundamental to who we are. And because we've been disconnected from it, we don't understand that. And that's the role that I'm here to play is to show people that you don't even know. I'm not saying you guys on this call, but one does not even know the importance of it because it's never been there for you to know. Mm -hmm. And so why not? If there's a piece of information about yourself that you can have to make those decisions, why, why wouldn't you get it? Why yeah. wouldn't you want it? So that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to just dive, jump in real quick if, if I'm not um, stepping on, on anybody else's toes, Brother Marcus. Come on in. Um, but what uh, uh, Captain Tobin said was, was, was truly, truly spot on um, and, and very relevant um, in regards to intent versus impact, how our words, how our actions, how those things matter, even internally. Um, I call them self-imposed barriers, how we create self-imposed barriers on our own people. Um, and how we navigate, how we say, and how we connect and engage. Um, ironically, same concept, I was having a conversation with um, some young men who are part of another organization. I won't call the organization out on this call, but um, <laughs> they were talking about how um, white folk particularly, as well as others, um, view the young African-American men, um, you know, how they dress, how they, you know, uh, present themselves, et cetera. So I posed the question, I said, so what, what is the difference when you're leaving a social function and you're trying to holler at a female and you trying to get at that individual from how they are presenting themselves. I was like, you can't be the pot calling the kettle black when you don't want white folk to view you a certain way, but yet you're treating our women um, or our sisters mm. a certain way um, in that through that particular action. So we have to be cognizant of our intent versus our impact and how mm. that uh, can translate across the board and still be detrimental regardless of the setting. Great event. Go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to get in on that. Uh, I think that is, is so, so important. I, I, I don't have a screen in front of me, so I can't call people's names <laughs> like I would like to. I apologize about that. Uh, but the whole point, as far as I can see, as far as knowledge of self is concerned, we all have different perspectives and things that we identify with as, in regards to what we need as a people and mm -hmm. what we need as a collective. And I want to just kind of push into to say that when we talk about what our needs are, we almost have to be very careful and cautious about when we say that, when we speak collectively, because we almost broad brush everybody. And, and many of us know that we come in such different perspectives that 
There's no real way to identify the needs of a collective when every single one of us is so different, you know? So yeah. it's almost as if there needs to be some sort of healthy balance in, in understanding what your individual needs are and then respecting the fact that you're not on this planet by yourself. Right. Like I like what the brother said mm -hmm. earlier about moving to Africa, and that has always been my thing. But then when you go deeper into the history, we have always been on this in this country, too. If you go to Easter Island, you'll find all kind of evidence that suggests that we were here long before Columbus. So there's no place that we have not existed. So it's not necessarily about uh, moving anywhere to avoid. It's more about, at least as I see it, about accountability. Somebody right. mentioned that earlier. And oh, accountability shame. is a strong word, but it's about standing up for what you know to be right. Right. And participating in the human family and saying, you know what? What you are trying to do is an assault against humanity, and we're not going to stand for it. We're not going to go anywhere. You know, if I want to move to Africa, great, I'll do that. But I'm not going to do it to avoid you because guess what? Long before any of this stuff, long before there was a U.S., there were black people. We were everywhere. We were in Europe. We were in China. We were in Africa. There's not a place on this planet that we were not. Is is a matter of can we uh, organize ourselves well enough to be able to play an active role and add value to the human family by way of saying that we're not going to allow human injustice to take place. Right. We're going to hold people accountable. There's, no, it's, there's nothing that says that we cannot do it except for the fact that we don't know who we are personally. And because we don't know who we are personally, we don't hold ourselves accountable for stepping up. That's where the leadership and leadership mastery is all about. I, I deal with self-mastery mainly because the biggest, most impactful thing that I can do is to live out myself live me out to the fullest and be sure that I am being me to my fullest extent and therefore the empowerment that I offer to myself gives me the courage to speak truth to injustice to say you know what what you did was wrong that's not right and I'm not going to run from this fight and I think that that's what we all need to collectively do. Every single leader that we've had from Garvey to Malcolm X to Martin Luther King, every single one of them uh, uh, Muhammad Ali have all if you listen to the, the the line that connects all of them is, is about that self-development. Right. Are you willing to take the challenge yourself, or are you going to still push it on somebody else to step up for you? Great points, man. Look. I, I just had an aha moment, if uh -oh. I could, and I wonder. Come on. Come on, Dr. So, Page. you know, I started off by saying I'm in the business of being black. I love black people. I'm all for black people. And that's my tunnel vision is black people. OK, but if you think that if you believe and know if you accept that black people, Africa is the mother of civilization. Then what if we changed the wording that we used in our conversation to talk about humanity? Come on, Sora. But in that conversation, hmm. we're focused on those the least among us right. which for us are people is people who look like us so we're talking about humanity which doesn't alienate people which doesn't make people's spidey senses tingle mm -hmm. but we know subconsciously that that humanity is rooted in people of african descent i don't know i just 
Thank no. you for hey. Raheem, because yeah. you're you're making me think about this. It's it's marketing, right? It's the positioning. Yeah. It's how you view it. Doesn't change your goal. Doesn't change no. your objective. But it's just how can you say it differently how is that it might get more people yeah. to to buy in. Yeah. yeah. Can Absolutely. I say something? I know you yeah, ready to say ahead. something, brother. It, it, the, the, I'm glad that you uh, said that. And the the point behind that aha moment that you had is. If we really, truly embody what we know to be true about ourselves as far as being stewards of humanity, stewards of the planet, then it's almost like we have a responsibility to play a bigger part. The part that says, yes, we are the ones that are getting the rough end of the stick at every turn. When you talk about building a society, we're always at the bottom because nobody experienced chattel slavery like black people right mm -hmm. for so long Period. but even in the midst of that that does not remove the fact that there's only one person on this planet who can effectively steward the planet in a way where everybody can survive because in the midst of all that has been to, done to us we have not raised a finger against anybody that's bigness. That's leadership. All we have to do is step into our responsibility to hold everybody accountable for how we treat one another because we're the ones getting the worst of the worst, and we're still here. And we're still <laughs> here. Mm. Great points, great points. Man, look, I've been, I've been enjoying myself. I, I really have. Like, this, this has been... Uh, something that I've wanted to do for, for quite some time. Um, and it's something that I'm going to continue to do. So, uh, again, for the listeners um, that are out there, you know, this is the Unapologetic Hustle. Um, I am Marcus Stone, your host, a.k.a. Hustle. Uh, we come to you live every Saturday from 11 to 1, uh, right here on Fishbowl Radio Network and Bashani Radio app. Um, but before we close out and we go through final thoughts, I want to bring some context to uh, some of the the areas that we've been talking about. Um, oppression has been a, a, a ringing theme um, in, in what that is. And, and just to provide that context to the listeners out there, uh, oppression from my vantage point is simply this. It's a system that maintains advantage and disadvantage based on social group memberships and operates intentionally and unintentionally on individual, institutional, and cultural levels. All right? That is one umbrella. So a subset to that it what what I was pondering last night um, is that what does internalized racism mean? Right. That is something that we don't really talk on or think about in, in that vantage point. And, and this is what came came to mind is that internalized racism is when either knowing it or not, someone has negative ideas about themselves, their race or culture. These ideas come from racist ideas and images put out in society. So it's the unconscious things that we receive and that we intake that creates the internalized racism that we can't get, of our, get out of our own way in order to make the change. Right? So ponder on that because we're going to have another panel discussion, right, um, in, in, in days to come. But I want to I wanna go around... Um, 
and and allow y'all you know a minute or so to to get your final thoughts on just what we talked about today and provide some nuggets to to the listeners out there and go ahead raheem i'll start with you yeah thank you brother uh i mean what you just said right there is the it's like the perfect closer because i think it's uh what we have all been speaking to in some way shape form or fashion throughout the entire uh conversation which is how do we get out of our own way Mm -hmm. that's knowledge of self when you realize who you are and what you are not just from your lineage because our ancestors have already bestowed upon us what they can Mm -hmm. now that we have it in us what do we do so getting out of your own way is like what the sister said earlier it's about self-acceptance can you accept the fact of who you are and live out your life fully expressing yourself and understanding your responsibility to the human family to add value but you have to be yourself because this pretending thing and we've never been about copying one another is all being original has always been a black thing you look at rap music yeah. the way we produce we've always celebrated individuality we have to hold that near and dear understanding who you are and put let that be your north star absolutely add value to the human family sister tobin final words First of all, I just want to thank you for inviting me to be a part of this esteemed panel. I've taken notes from all of you all, and I find it to be an honor to be in your presence, knowing that y'all are acting in each of your communities to positively impact this world, especially considering what's happening next week. This was the uh, joy that I needed on today. So thank you for that. I, w- I will say this. Reach back, lift up, create a space, and move out of the way. Mm. If you are not leaving a legacy of all the things that you've built, all the things that you hope for, then what are you doing it for? We can make each other better. So let's start making each other better. And let's leave our communities better than we found it, right? Indeed. And let's always leave everybody with hope and joy for the future. Brother Chris. You're muted. Uh oh, brother Chris. My bad. I was muted. Um, I don't want to. I don't want uh, any sounds from my from my background and people's speech. Um, thank you again for having me on this panel. I definitely learned a lot. Um, I, I wouldn't have necessarily uh, admitted that I'm a a, a person that uh, kind of looks inward within. Right. I need to start doing that for myself and kind of re-examinating I've you know just been focused on career stuff and getting the job done that I really haven't sat down myself and kind of sit down and ask well hey what is it that you like what is it that you want I've been doing stuff based on you know this is what you need Mm. right so I'll definitely start to think about that in the coming months as we go into a new year. So I really want to appreciate you guys um, just being around you and and having that conversation. It's not every day I have those conversations with folks. So um, I I learned a great deal about that. Um, As far as going forward and from my vantage point with folks out there is um, is uh, harping back to my points, education, plan, um, T 
teach your kids things that you didn't know, you know, instead, I, I, there's a meme going out that talks about don't buy your kid things that you didn't have when you were growing up, teach them things you didn't know when you were growing up. So um, definitely do that for our next generation and putting them in a good position. And uh, if you haven't yet, please, please make sure you vote. Indeed. Make sure you vote. And that's, that's 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 my good. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Page. Mm. Uh, I I want to say, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you, Marcus. Uh, thank you for creating this panel. And I think what you've done is you've now provided a tool. You provided an amazing tool with all of with all of us to give people all these different vantage points. I've never had a conversation with a black female combat disabled <laughs> veteran. I haven't. I mean, you know, I, I, I have never had a conversation with the, the leader of diversity and inclusion at a predominantly white institution. Uh, I have spoken to uh financial planners before, but none that has told us to go back to Africa. And um, I think I have a kindred, a kindred spirit in my brother who talks about how important it is to know yourself. Yeah. And so that's what I, I want to leave the listeners with. Share this broadcast. Share this conversation with as many people you, as you can, because you've gotten a broad range of perspectives here, all that have uh, consistent threads throughout. So even though we live in different places, we come from different backgrounds, we have different experiences, we have some commonalities here. And you've heard us each kind of look at something a little bit differently now right. because of the conversation. And, and for me, I would like to say, I, I encourage you to remember who you are. Indeed, brother. Whatever that takes, whatever <laughs> tools you need, get them. And then really sit with that question of who am I? And I think that you'll, I'm confident that you'll, the answer will be one that can move you so much farther ahead in life for yourself, your family, and the community. That's beautiful. Brother Lashane. Like everyone else, it's been truly a pleasure to be a part of this uh, discussion. Um, Marcus, I will appreciate the opportunity to continue to connect with your panelists. So if you wouldn't mind sharing contact information so we can um, stay abreast of, of what we're all doing and how those things intersect and how we continue to push the needle forward. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Trap Genius NYC for my threads for today. Um, the, the, the threads say, um, take risk, apply, I always apply pressure. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Always remember to take sound risk and keep applying pressure because you're if you're not active in your liberation you'll be complacent in your oppression man spoken like a true champ man um and and in closing um it's your boy man so this is the hustle moment so um i'll leave it with this let's focus on breaking the stigma and the inevitable cycle of psychological molestation Continue mm -hmm. to press forward in finding and identifying who you are so that the cycle can be broken. Don't settle for less. Always produce more. Be the change you need to see so that the change remains relevant. 
Till next time, man, it's your boy. Hustle out. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah. They tell me all the time. Levi. What you got going on now? You always doing something. Always stay working. I just tell them how you expect to be great, but your hustle don't match. Listen. The hustle unapologetic Can't help it, I'm built this way It's probably in my genetics Refuse to live my life And just feel with all this bad credit Been craving the sweet Life just like I'm a diabetic I'm too sick, so sick I definitely need the paramedics Almost that I can smell it Some of y'all pathetic You get the game But you never teach it, nah Y'all never spread it The difference between the fake and the real See, I'ma tell it Only matter of time Before I detonate That greatness on another level So I levitate He may not come where you want But no, he never they wonder why I shine, where you know what pressure makes Everybody ain't diamonds, I see a lot of your flukes You can tell you don't produce because your tree don't bear fruit And if you ain't war already, we will cut you loose Real soldiers around me, I need more than just combat boots See the hustle is real, I hustle for a change It been a drought in my hood, I hustle to bring the rain I hustle to break my generation about them change I hustle to make sure my mama don't have work again I hustle for my unborn son or daughter Hustle in every quarter, hustle to rearrange the order Of my people, see we bout to take back every single thing we lost up in these borders I hustle over time, attempt to push the culture forward It's that real shit, make a meal with that little gift Everybody on the hustle, we can make a real shift So keep your Head up youngin' and just keep on moving. And if you ain't hustling, then I don't know what you're doing. The time is now. I'm sorry, I'm the time is now. Yeah, yeah. I gotta write my story. No, you can't have my glory. I'm taking all.